From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrin. Thanks for inviting me into your home. I'm getting a lot of email of people wanting to hear me weigh in on that absolute horror show that uh, transpired in our nation's capital. And this is the the challenge of a weekly radio show. I have to wait until my show rolls around once a week before I can jump uh, on an important story. And uh, we will delve into that later in the hour. A researcher and host of a popular podcast, The Conspiracy Cafe, uh, will be here to talk about some of the, what shall we call them, oddities surrounding the official version of, of what happened up in Ottawa peculiarities, oddities, inconsistencies, perhaps, that he's seen, witnessed, delved into, and he'll share those with us. And while I don't necessarily subscribe to his version or his questioning of these events, I think these oddities or peculiarities in the official version of events deserve to be discussed and scrutinized in the light of day. And many of you may be thinking that it's too soon or it's too sensitive, and I am fully cognizant, believe me. And some of you might be thinking, how can you possibly think we're being lied to about what happened? A man is dead, for crying out loud. A wife has been widowed. A child has been orphaned. Now is not the time. But if there is some high-level criminal activity going on here, above and beyond what we're being told, then we must investigate. One of the, uh, the techniques for suppressing the truth is for certain people to wax indignant This is also known as the how-dare-you gambit. Other uh, common techniques for suppressing the truth is charges as rumors, or better yet, wild rumors. And if in spite of the news blackout, the public is still able to learn about certain suspicious facts, it can only be through rumors. If they tend to believe the rumors, it must be because they're simply paranoid or hysterical. Uh, Then there is... uh, Knock down straw men. This is a a common technique. You knock down a straw man. You deal only with the weakest aspects of the weakest charges. Even better, create your own straw man. Make up wild rumors or plant false stories and give them lead play when you appear to debunk all the charges real and fanciful alike. Or you call the skeptics names like conspiracy theorist, nutcase, ranter, kook, crackpot, and of course, rumor monger. And be sure, too, to use heavily loaded verbs and adjectives when characterizing their charges and defending the more reasonable government and its defenders. You must then carefully avoid fair and open debate with any of the people you have thus maligned. And for insurance, set up your own skeptics to shoot down. Again, there are a number of things that disturb me about the official version of events that transpired, and I want to put those under the microscope a little bit later. Here's the thing. Uh, Whenever someone suggests, for example, the Ottawa shooting may have been some sort of a false flag, I don't discount it out of hand, and here's why. How could I even contemplate, you may be asking, that somebody, and I'm not talking about the Prime Minister here, I'm not talking about government officials, I'm not talking about cabinet members, I'm talking about unelected rogue elements that have power and influence, And I believe that there exists rogue elements in every facet of society, in every country. And it's because I believe the real power in the world rests with psychopaths. Psychopaths rise to the top in our society. They have the power. You don't get to rise to the top unless you have certain attributes. 
You've got to be ruthless. You have to be remorseless. You have to be able to justify anything, perhaps even killing innocent human beings like Corporal Nathan Cirillo, if it furthers a certain agenda. We're going to talk about uh, psychopaths a little bit here uh, because my next guest, who has been with us before, uh, wrote a book, a pretty profound book. It's kind of a survival guide. It's called The Art of Urban Survival, and one of the chapters is about just that. It's about defending against psychopaths, not psychopaths that are lurking in an alley. We're not talking about these random acts of violence. We're talking about the psychopaths that are in the workplace, are in the church, are at the public school system. They may even be at work, might even be your boss. Your boss might be a psychopath. How do we get out from under this? Uh, But further, we're going to talk about the history of cycles. Why is it we always seem to ignore the past and we keep repeating the same mistakes? We never seem to be able to uh, get off this Hindu wheel of life. You know the old expression, right? Those who ignore the lessons of the past are condemned to repeat them. However, there are certain groups that are very mindful of these cycles. They take advantage of them. They plan for them. Now it's time for us to plan for these cycles. Stefan Verstappen is a writer, world traveler, artist, martial arts expert, street youth counselor. He's lived and traveled throughout China and East Asia. And while in Asia, he studied Oriental art, culture, and Kung Fu. Stefan is a master of the Lohan School of Martial Arts and one of the few Westerners to have lived and studied Kung Fu in China. He's a member of the Canadian Society in China and also worked as chairperson for the City of Vaughan International Economic Development Committee in charge of facilitating the Twin Cities partnerships with cities in Japan and China. And he is the author of several books, including the aforementioned The Art of Urban Survival. His article, Historical Cycles, Are We Doomed to Repeat the Past? What to Expect and How to Prepare for the Next Ten Years will be published in the fall edition of the Trends Journal, which of course is published by Gerald Salente, a noted futurist and uh, trends analyst who has joined us on this program from time to time. Stefan Verstappen, welcome. How are you? I'm fine, Richard. Thanks for having me back on the show. So, uh, cycles, and uh, are we to measure then historical cycles in sort of 10-year uh, in 10-year intervals? Is that how we how we look at cycles in 10 years? Yeah. Well, there's been many different theories on you know historical cycles and each theory has its own sort of timetable and uh, for example the oldest theory of historical cycles dates back to the Vedas which is almost uh, 6,000 years old and they describe a four uh, stage cycle of history and each stage in that cycle is 2,400 years long um, then coming a little bit more closer to the future, we have uh, the Greek uh, philosopher and historian Polybius, and he came up with also a, a four-stage cycle of uh, history. And in his stage, the stages lasted 200 years, and um, all the way up through to modern times with the Strauss and Howe theory of historical cycles. And again, they use a four-stage pattern to describe these cycles. And they ascribe a, a time period of 20 years uh, or 24 years to each stage in that cycle. So 
um, the time period. You know what? I toss it up. I think the time period is not etched in stone. I think it's a variable. I think it depends on the circumstances of the civilization in which you would apply this theory to. And so we see within our modern society, everything has speeded up incredibly fast. And even with human species, if we you know, go back only you know, 10,000 years, we went from you know, the uh, Neolithic age of stone tools to you know, walking on the moon or not walking on the moon, depends on <laughs> which theory you believe. But you know, nevertheless, we do have a flight and, you know, that in terms of, of history and, and, and geology and, and, and the cycles of history is extremely fast. So we, I, I think it's a mistake to assign that each cycle is going to last so many years and that each stage will last so many years. So I think it's variable. And I think what you should look for is the signs that, you know, are happening around us, the environment, what's going on with civilization. Uh, what's happening to our society um, and by examining um, you know the real-time events of what is occurring now I think that is a better determiner at, uh, uh, a better indicator of what stage in the cycle we are at and also will help to show how quickly this cyclist is is, uh, is is moving well it it um, it suggests then uh, Stefan that these cycles uh, suggest that we you know the world is not some orderly less um, you know we're not in it's, it's things don't just unfold accidentally uh, there there is an order to the universe uh, with these cycles and uh, the question then is I mean what influences these cycles uh, is it for example as uh, perhaps the Babylonians uh, the ancient Babylonians believed that uh, uh, the uh, the sun and the stars and heavenly bo- bodies influence these cycles. Uh, I mean, what 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 is your theory? What 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 causes or what influences these cycles, however long they may be? Yeah, I, I you know I I'm going to jump to the end of the article and say that w- what I believe is that these cycles are natural. I do believe that. Um, I believe that for every phenomenon that we see in nature, and just like your previous guest with his. Uh, mind-reading abilities, but he bases it on basic science and observation. And I believe the same holds true for the cycles of history. It is based on a natural cycle. And the fact that almost every theory on historical cycles sort of uh, shows a four-stage progression from, you know, spring to summer to autumn to fall, and, you know, a similar progression in in, in the the attributes of each stage from, you know, a new beginning, a golden age, an age of reaping the rewards of of your civilization, and then an age of decline and death. And of course, you know, this is the four seasons. So if we look at, you know, civilization as a living entity and all of us, all the individuals, we are organisms with uh, cells, individual cells that comprise this vast organism, then I think what we are seeing is, you know, birth, maturity, old age, and death. And so the cycles do repeat, and they follow a natural pattern. All right, we'll uh, take a time out. When, we'll co- when we come back, we'll find out from Stefan Verstappen what stage of life we are as a civilization. Are we in the infancy stage? Some might look around and say we are pretty infantile, or are we 
simply stubborn adolescence? Well, there's an argument that can be made for that too. Or are we in the fourth quarter, the final two-minute warning? Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Different views make great conversation. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. Stefan Verstappen is uh, with us. He is the author of a number of books, including The Art of Urban Survival. And uh, he has a uh, an article that's going to appear in the fall, uh, the fall edition of the Trends Journal, uh, which is published by Gerald Salente. And uh, the article is entitled, Historical Cycles. Are we doomed to repeat the past? What to expect and how to prepare for the next 10 years? And, uh, Kevin, I was asking you about what, what stage uh, we're in. Let's assume, for example, that um, civilization is, is like a, an organism, like a human being, for example, uh, that goes through uh, infancy, uh, the toddler stage, adolescence, uh, in, on into adulthood, and finally old age. Where are we? in your estimation? Well, I think, uh, you know, a few people can deny that things aren't looking good right now. You know, I look around me and I see the, you know, the the increased preparations by governments all over the world to suppress what is obviously a going to be sort of civil unrest. And I wondered why they are doing that. I mean, why is there this, you know, sudden militarization of the police? Not just in America, but Canada as well, and uh, and it looks like it's going to be increased now as a result of the Ottawa shootings, but also in in, in Europe and and the world over. And I thought, well, do they know something we don't know? Are, what are they preparing for? Because the preparations they are making are obviously to suppress a a, a civil disobedience or or an uprising. Everything is focused on riot control and heavy police enforcement. So what, what are they expecting? What, what are they preparing for? I thought things were good. Um, you know, yeah. Well, we're told that the economy is in, in, in recovery, sort of a halting recovery nonetheless. I've never believed that uh, personally, but I think they're just papering over that. So there's, there's one issue that continues to linger, and that is you know, chronic underemployment, I think, for the foreseeable future. Yeah, it's it's uh, terrible out there. I I don't believe the official statistics at all, uh, because I know from firsthand experience and uh, and people around me. Everybody is frightened. Everybody's desperate. Everybody's worried about their job. Worried about paying their bills. And so you know, I've seen this before. Now, where have I seen this before? Well, I've seen this in studying history, and when you see these conditions start to arise in any history book. You know, covering any, you know, from from the Romans to the Chinese to the Japanese, when it gets to this part in the story, you know, it's on the bad turn. It's it's at the end of its cycle. It's at the end of the good days, and what happens is we enter into what's called a period of chaos, and this is the collapse of the previous dynasty, and the previous dynasty we could say, for example, in Russia, the previous dynasty was communism and it collapsed and even though yeah they have more freedoms now but on the other hand um, the conditions the living conditions in eastern europe are horrendous with the criminal elements controlling most of the cities and, and industries and 
in the poverty and the unemployment, well, you know, it wasn't that great to collapse of that dynasty. Now, the next dynasty to collapse is the great consumer uh, dynasty of the Western capitalists, you know, the, the Walmart world and McDonald's world. And, you know, we've stuffed ourselves on junk food and junk and, and you know, uh, but it's coming to the end of that. Too. Well, it's true. McDonald's uh, stock is 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 falling because, uh, and Coca-Cola uh, stock is falling because people have had enough of you know sugary drinks and and the perception that McDonald's is not healthy and they're losing market share to their competitors. So you're right. Who would have thought McDonald's and Coca-Cola? I mean, no, that's blue chip stock, but it's yeah. falling. Yeah. No, because because that's what happens at the end of the cycle. So. When you see these kind of conditions arise, and what conditions I'm talking about is increased militarism and government control, because at the end of every dynasty, what happens is uh, civilizations collapse. Yes, it's natural, but a function of that natural collapse is the absolute and total corruption of the ruling elite. And that's what we're seeing now. We're seeing unbelievable greed and, and corruption going on in the governments of all Western countries and most Eastern countries as well. And what happens is, uh, as, as they get greedier and greedier, they have to steal more and more. Now, because they're stealing so much, everyone else is poor. You know, people can't afford to take vacations anymore. They can't afford to buy a new car. And in a year or maybe two years, they're not going to be able to afford red meat once a week or chicken or fresh vegetables. So what's going to happen then when people can't afford to put food on the table for their kids and their families? Well, they're going to get upset and they're going to blame the government because, well, the government greed and ineptitude and the taxes and the licensing and ad infinitum all of the regulations, which is all in place just to take more money out of the economy to feed their greed. So, you know, what you mentioned earlier, the psychopaths are in charge, and the psychopaths know only one thing, and that is to consume. And what they consume is the rest of us. So now, what's going to happen? People are going to get upset, and they're going to go and protest. And those protests may turn violent. Hence, the government is already prepared. They've got you know, the, 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 the riot police, and they all have the, their new equipment and their anti-riot gear and the sonic weapons and the tear gas grenades. I mean, what, why else would they have all those things? Because they know what's coming. And body bags and um, rumors of internment camps. And, but this is stuff that, you know, only paranoids think about, uh, St- Stefan. We've been, you know, uh, when people start talking about this sort of thing, they're considered, you know... Uh, like one of those militiamen down in the United States who listen to shortwave radio and, and um, uh, you know, talk about how horrible the government is. Sure, because, you know, if we prepare and if we make ourselves stronger, uh, we're less uh, uh, easily victimized. And, of course, since government now is in the business of victimizing the population, they don't want that. So they denigrate anybody who is, you know looking around and saying, wait a minute, this isn't 
what I was promised when I voted conservative, when I voted liberal, when I voted NDP. You know, this isn't how it was supposed to turn out. But how do we, how, what happens to those those people uh, that, that seek higher office? And, 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 and I think in most cases, uh, they do it for all the right reasons. They genuinely want to help. So I don't think necessarily that the psychopaths are the people that come canvassing at your door asking you to vote them in uh, as MPP or MP. Is there... Are we talking about some um, some other level, which is what I believe happens, is you have this this cabal, this unelected group that that sort of forces the hand of these elected officials? Yeah, absolutely, Richard. Uh, you know, I have a, one of my students, former students, Kung Fu students, is uh, running for uh, councilman, you know, and I know the guy. He's, he's a decent salt of the earth fellow, a family man. There's no way he's involved in any sort of nefarious conspiracy. I know that. And I believe that the same is true for probably most of the MPs and MPPs uh, yeah, that do come to your door. But, you know, what happens is they are part of a system that is controlled, and they're probably not aware of it either. And, you know, in order to function, um, you know, the big decisions aren't left up to them anyways. The big decisions are made somewhere else. And uh, those decisions are made by whatever psychopathic cabal um, that uh, runs things from behind the scene. And it's not being paranoid because, you know, I've read a lot of history. And, uh, you know, if I were to tell you this story and it took place in China 1,500 years ago, nobody would say, oh, geez, you're paranoid. No, because you see the historical record. There is, you know, ample evidence that these psychopaths had schemed to take over the empire and rob it blind. Of course. But... We, we think that it doesn't happen to us, and we think it doesn't happen now. But that's where history, again, proves us wrong. It happens, and it can happen to us, and it can happen now. And you're saying that we are on the cusp or the precipice where it's going to happen again, which is we're talking about uh, the collapse of an empire. In this case, we're talking about consumerism. But um, you mentioned these 10-year cycles, but surely this has been going on, this decline, uh, has been going on for much longer than 10 years and 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 the 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 predatory nature of I guess the unelected oligarchs I mean this has been going on for for a lot longer than 10 years yeah um no uh, I didn't say that I thought it was a 10 year cycle that was a, a theory by Strauss and how ah, okay yeah um like I said I think it's you know it's flexible um and, and also, I want to, you know, because we're almost out of time, and I want to end on a positive note and say that I think this is a natural part that civilizations go through. And what happens is we go through a sort of a period of chaos, but it's not the end of the world, and it's not the end of our civilization. It's the end of that paradigm. And we'll go through a period of turmoil, like all civilizations have gone through, and most of them, with you know, a few exceptions like the Maya and the Aztec, but most of these civilizations, like the French and the English and the Germans and the Japanese and the Chinese, they come out of this period and they build a better uh, dynasty. The next one, you know, if we can get through the next five to ten years, um, you know, and, and look out for each other, get some preps in the house, you know, some extra food and some supplies, learn how to do with less, and ten years from now, we're going to see a better world. 
Uh, I certainly hope you're right, uh, Stefan. I mean, but, but it seems to me that now the stakes are much higher. We're not talking about, let's say, for example, the fall of the Roman Empire, where as mighty as they were, uh, let's face it, the, the weapons at their disposal were, uh, you know, uh, basically slingshots <laughs> by today's standard. Right. Or the, the fall of the Visigoths or the, you know, the Mongol hordes or, you know, name your, name your empire. Uh, now when this, when this house of cards comes a-tumbling down, uh, it's going to take a lot more people with it. Um, I'm not so sure. No? Um, yeah, I, you know, I'm trying to stay positive, Richard. I, I want to think, because we have one wild card that none of the other civilizations had, and that is mass communication. Your radio show, the Internet, and, uh, uh, you know, and podcasts and television, we are able to disseminate ideas at you know instantaneous speed and reach more people than at any other time in history and i think this is could be a very defi- decisive factor i think you know with your efforts and and the efforts of of your guests and myself and to you know get people to you know become more aware of where we are at and to make preparations to you know survive this and to work together you know we we, we got to uh, um you know be careful and um We'll get through this, and I think, you know, ultimately, the change has to come from our own thinking and our own uh, our own uh, mentality and our own spirituality. We have to, as a species, say enough of this, enough of the war and the chemical and the greed, and we have to say we're not going to support that, and we're not going to condone it with our silence. So, you know, speak out, make preparations, and be strong, and I think we might have a chance of reducing, you know, the death toll of, uh, you know, the coming turmoil. And and just in the in the minute remains here before we uh, move on to other things, and you're going to join us for our second half here as we discuss the uh, the the horror show that was the Ottawa shootings earlier uh, in the week. Uh, how do we how do we prepare? How does an individual prepare for this rough ride ahead? Well, it's anything you would do for emergency preparedness will get you through the same turmoil. The turmoil is just basically one big disaster. So extra food, extra medications, uh, extra batteries, flashlights, candles, alternative sources for heating, um, and then the skills, you know, uh, take a first aid course, uh, learn some gardening skills, um, learn some bartering skills, and then get your people together. We have to form communities. We have to rely on each other. We are, you know, the tactic of the psychopaths in charge is to divide us. We've got the, you know, men against women, race against race, religion against religion. No, you know, this divides us. We need to seek each other out and support each other, regardless of race, religion, or, 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 uh, uh, or, or sex. These are minor differences. We're all humans, and we have a common enemy, <clears throat> and that common enemy is greed and corruption. And we need to unite. Well, your your book, uh, The Art of Urban Survival, what do you recommend? Do you stay put in the city where there is some infrastructure, at least for now, there is a, there is community, uh, or do you hightail it for the uh, the rural areas and uh, and try to make it out there? Um, I don't think you have the option. You know, a lot of people think, well, we'll go to, to the country, we'll live in the forest. No, no, you know, that's not going to happen. Most people don't survive that. And I can, you know, we don't have time, but I can give you a dozen examples of it from history where people have tried that. It doesn't work. Look, we ha- this is it here. We have to make our stand where we live. And most of us live in the city. And that's why I wrote the book. Uh, it's 
to give you the tools and the information that you can handle and deal and survive any kind of disaster that will happen to you while you live in the city. But this is our home now. There's, there's nowhere to run to. Um, we got to make it where we live. The Art of Urban Survival and his uh, upcoming article in the fall edition of the Trends Journal, Historical Cycles, Are We Doomed to Repeat the Past? What to Expect and How to Prepare for the Next Ten Years? Stefan Verstappen sticks around and will be joined by the host of the podcast, The Conspiracy Cafe, George Freund, as we discuss the Ottawa shooting oddities. Listener discretion advised. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show, my name is Richard Serrett. Shaking the world and seeing what falls. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. I received this in my inbox this morning, my email inbox. Subject line, it's up to you. Richard, you're about all that stands in the way of a total and complete police state takeover of Canada. I was given airtime on Genesis Network's The Power Hour to plead the case and introduce the prospect that this, meaning the Ottawa shooting, uh, was a strategy of tension operation. There are many holes in the story. There's a lack of blood at the memorial. There's a lack of interest in the bystanders in the background. They aren't even looking at the scene unfolding. They are definitely not taking cover after a man was just shot. The fact the guy runs hundreds of yards over open ground with a rifle in front of the most heavily defended piece of real estate in Canada defies any common sense. There are supposed to be armed guards outside 24-7. Joyce Riley, talk show host, stated on her show yesterday the shooter had a parliamentary pass. There were also warnings issued days before to all the legislatures of an impending attack. When, can't, sorry, I can't read the next line. Uh, anyway, the, uh, the gentleman who sent me this uh, goes on in, in considerable detail uh, to talk about these inconsistencies and what's wrong with the official version of this story. Again, talking about the horrible shootings up in Ottawa on Wednesday and the death, I do believe, that Corporal Nathan Cirillo was shot and killed. Um, who is this Michael Zahaf Bibeau? Well, we'll delve into that perhaps a little bit as well. But uh, joining us on the uh, Conspiracy Show is the host of the popular alternative news podcast, The Conspiracy Cafe. George Freund is a longtime researcher investigating conspiracies, history, and intelligence agencies. Uh, George, welcome. How are you? Oh, very good. Thank you, Richard. And uh, oh, we've uh, kept uh, our previous guest, Stefan Verstappen, uh, on the, uh, the program, who uh, uh, is the author of The Art of Urban Survival, uh, George Stefan Stefan George. Oh, a good man. He made some good points. My grandfather's generation went through that stuff before in the 30s and the wars, and uh, the biggest mistake they made is they said or felt that their generation would never face that. It would never happen to them, and they learned very quickly that that was a serious error in judgment. It can happen to you. And, yeah, it can. Uh, it's nice to meet you too, George. Ditto. And uh, Stefan, feel free to jump in at any, any, any point uh, and join the conversation. Uh, George, we don't have a lot of time. Let me cut to the quick. So, your uh, based on your analysis of the, uh, the what you have witnessed in the media and from other accounts, you believe that the incident, this shooting up in Ottawa, was some sort of a false flag event. Is that correct? The pictures that the media has put out don't match the story they're telling. 
So in like in a parody, you know, somebody promised me a car that was only driven by an old lady to go to church on Sundays, and I find it with yellow primer paint and numbers on the door. The story and the pictures don't match, and we have to use our own minds to come out. I've done a lot of emergency first response with people with, you know, fatal injuries and serious injuries, and, uh, you know, I've seen that firsthand. And when you deal with someone with massive trauma like this individual, Corporal Cirillo, is supposed to have had, you wear it. Like, you just look like you've been in a chainsaw fight because arterial bleeders just shoot like there's no tomorrow. And when I looked at the pictures, I say I accepted that I'm getting a car that was driven by an old lady going to church on Sunday. And then when I look at the pictures, I say that's not the case at all. One of the emergency pictures that was very difficult to find is when the paramedics on the scene and there's a lady going to start mouth to mouth on the corporal. His shirt's open. The shirt is a light green. The major blood vessels, the freight train blood vessels, go through your abdomen. And, you know, that's just basic anatomy, the abdominal aorta and the interior vena cava. Those are the, the major highways of taking blood through your body. You have a 30-30 caliber Winchester bullet fired at close to close point-blank range, hitting a target. Uh, the, you know, the hydrostatic shock that's going to come from that, uh, that velocity of a round is just going to rip you apart, and there's, there's going to be splatter all over the place. And that's just not there. The guy's shirt's clean. There's no blood on his skin. He should be bleeding from the mouth. And uh, the other bizarre thing is the paramedics are there with all the high-tech equipment, and they're still doing basic first aid like the first responder. Uh, wait a minute. The man's heart stopped beating. You know, like, let's get the airway in. We've got to get the paddles out to give him the shock. The, the box is in, on the ground in front of him, and they're not doing anything with it. That defies logic. And when your heart stops beating, it only takes a couple of minutes, you turn blue. He's the same color, has the same skin color as the people that are working on him. That just defies logic. But then, you know, maybe this is the first time ever case that uh, injuries of that nature have uh, not fit the pattern of injuries of that nature in the past. George, I hear everything you're saying, and, and uh, it, it does seem very odd. And I remember, of course, well, I don't remember, I wasn't there, but I've seen, of course, the, the, uh, the, the Lee Harvey Oswald uh, shooting, and same thing. I mean, here was a man that was shot in the gut at close range and no blood. Uh, in fact, the, the photographer on the scene at the time uh, would later report that he thought that that was very odd. No blood. All right, we'll uh, take a time out, come back. George Freund, these are difficult, difficult questions. If not on this program, then where? Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Don't be afraid of the dark. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. George Freund is uh, with us, independent researcher and uh, the host of the podcast Conspiracy Cafe. You know, when we have members of the armed forces, police, that are apparently, you know, gunned down in cold blood. And in this case, we have a young man hailed as a hero who has left a wife widowed and a son orphaned who hasn't even been laid in the ground yet, laid to rest. George, you must be catching a lot of heat for even asking these questions. No, actually, I'm encouraged because I'm the only one who will ask those questions. And uh, so the support basis that follows me is like a, you know, a little rising tsunami because uh, what we experienced in Ottawa you know, against what uh, corporate and mainstream media say, is we witnessed a coup d'etat, a coup d'etat to remove the power of controlling the state by the people. Uh, on the day, miraculously, that we're introducing our anti-terror bill, 
the, something that hasn't happened since 1867 happened. How does it happen? I used to work for the company that did diplomatic uh, security for the United States before the RCMP took it over. There's no guards in front of Parliament. Like That's like telling me, you know, there's no defensemen on the ice at the Stanley Cup game. You know, it's tied. Granted, that's odd. I'll tell you a, a little story. A, a friend of mine was telling me over lunch the other day that he and his uh, wife were on Parliament Hill during Thanksgiving weekend, and the place, he said, quote-unquote, was crawling, crawling with police. Crawling with police. That was on a uh, weekend of uh, Thanksgiving. Uh, and granted, that was before, I believe that was before, uh, the... Um, the uh, the death of Patrice Vincent uh, in in Quebec, another soldier killed, uh, and the country went supposedly into high alert. Correct, because even days before the first incident, the legislators in Victoria, British Columbia, have reported to CBC that they were given specific information to be on guard for a, an attack on Parliament, not just a general caution or warning, but specific information, and they were prepared. So this obviously came from the RCMP and probably from Ottawa and CSIS. Well, why didn't you lock your own barn door? And uh, what what uh, do you find odd about... Well, obviously there's much uh, to be found odd about um, uh, the, the shooter, uh, Bibo, and, and we're, we're finding out, of course, that his, um, his mother um, was... Uh, Susan was uh, worked for the Immigration and Refugee Board of Canada, uh, we we know that the father uh, was fighting Gaddafi in in Libya. What else do we know? What do we know about the actions of uh, of this uh, Michael? Well, he was under observation for getting a passport, and they wouldn't give him one. So he was being investigated by federal authorities. Maybe not to the point of the other chap who ran over the warrant officer in Quebec. He was actually arrested, held in custody, and released and had his passport seized and was on the list that the uh, commissioner and the CSIS director were extolling in Parliament. But, of course, with 60,000 policemen in Canada at the RCMP level, they didn't have the time or resources to follow any of these individuals. They just need more power. And uh, you're, you're, you're saying that, in, obviously, in a facetious manner. Oh, exactly. Right. Uh, like it's hard to believe. <laughs> and because he's in Quebec... You have the resources of five to 6,000 Quebec police force uh, personnel behind you as well to keep tabs on this guy. That, that is just scandalous. Why there's no one asking for the commissioner's resignation? If I was the prime minister, I'd say, you know, this is your last day working here. I want your resignation by the end of the day. <laughs> this is, you know, men are shooting through my door, and I have to hide in a closet, and you're supposed to protect me. Uh, so, you know, so again, uh, spell it out for us, uh, uh, George. You believe that this was an operation uh, designed, in other words, uh, this shooter was allowed to get into the parliament, was allowed to uh, to murder this uh, the, the Corporal Nathan Cirillo, uh, storm parliament, create the, the pretext for the passage of this anti-terror legislation. Is that it? Correct. That's one of the oldest tricks in the book, as Maxwell Smart used to say. It's called the Strategy of Tension. Operation Gladio was a NATO, a NATO uh, sign-on by countries all over the, the NATO empire to use things like this. In Belgium, they, sh they sent three men with shotguns into a supermarket and blew 14 people to death. At the Oktoberfest bombing in Germany, they planted a bomb at an amusement park at the gate and blew people up. 
I have a you know a video uh, NATO secret armies on my website from 2009 where they talk to the survivors and you know how this man had his daughter blown up before his eyes and he she's all blown open and he just runs to her in time to hear her last words daddy help me and his own government did this Italy suffered the worst the last being the Bologna train station bombing 82 killed over 200 injured and uh, we think for a minute that we get off scot-free with the strategy of tension what democratic government anywhere could even contemplate pulling a stunt like that on its own people and uh, this is our common history BBC did the longest documentary on Gladio there's books written on it and one of my favorite books that I read uh, and I even wrote Parliament about this uh, before it happened on October the 5th and talked about uh, the strategy of tension and Operation Gladio and mentioned the classic work called Lights Camera War by uh, Johanna Newman foreign affairs editor for Newsweek uh, years past, and how they manipulate the news and film it like it's uh, a stage play. Stefan Verstappen, what do you make of all this? I mean, what what George is describing here is uh, a coup d'etat in in our beloved country, uh, a a, a corporal um, Cirillo sacrificed like a lamb, um, an innocent lamb, for for this purpose. I mean, this almost seems too unbelievable. What do you, what do you make, Stefan? Um, I agree with George. I think he has a very valid point. Um, history is rife with incidents of uh, governments sacrificing their own citizens for some political purpose. They, they do it all the time. They've done it for thousands of years. There's a strategy in my book, uh, The 36 Strategies, uh, called The Tactic of Injuring Yourself which describes this very strategy. And this goes back 3,000 years. So, no, is it unheard of? Absolutely not. It's, you know, uh, it would be my first guess when I hear these things. And definitely they should be ruled out. Before we leap to conclusions and throw all our freedoms out the window, like the baby with the bathwater, that is an insult, a total and complete insult to the 60,000 men we buried in World War One and the 60,000 men we buried in World War Two. I don't think they ever expected us to throw it all away because uh, one person was killed and uh, we had a big threat in Ottawa if that's what really happened. I don't think they expected that at all. Harper has this bill tabled Wednesday, and now they're going to rewrite it to make it worse. And one of the, uh, you know... They want to make it even far worse than what it was originally intended to have some new concept in law I've never heard of before called threat diminishment, which isn't described, but what's that? Are we going to have, like, death squads to go around and make people disappear? They had these people under radar. They were allowed to get loose and uh, and do their dirty work. This guy, Babo, uh, he's supposed to have crossed the U.S. border with a criminal record, including narcotics conviction, convictions, without a passport four times like come on it's a post 9-11 world a Toronto businessman couldn't get across the border because he was mentioned as a teenager you know 20 years ago in a police report about somebody smoking dope what do you make of the uh, the uh, the video uh, the RCMP have examined this video where we see uh, Michael Sahapi Bo uh, posing with the uh, the rifle with the uh, the blue and white scarf around his neck uh, what, what, what do we? What, what do you make of that? 
Well, the only thing I heard from uh, you know a blogger that one of my fans just sent me before the show was they're concerned with the reflection, like the pictures taken behind glass. Yes, there is kind of a reflection on the right-hand side. Yes, and they feel very uncomfortable that it's uh, you know. It, it looks like, from what I'm looking at it right now, that it's on a TV screen or a video monitor and that we're getting the reflection of the glass from the monitor. One of the other big things is ISIS said they had these guys posted on their website. And my big comment, uh, you know, what, what kind of power do you need? You need a 12-year-old with a laptop to find the ISIS guys on, on their website and say, yeah, that's him, that's him, that's him. You don't need any more power. You just have to do something. And uh, it, it's child's play to uh, to track these people down and get the information. And, uh, you know, what's available as apps today is probably the technology they had in the CIA like seven or eight years ago, that you can track anything, anywhere, anytime. I was tracking missiles after that ship got captured in Finland. The CEO of the shipping company contacted me and said, where's my ship? Oh, my. <laughs> it was hijacked with with uh, surface-to-air missiles on it, and I found it for them and tracked it all the way into the Mediterranean and over to the Panama Canal. And, uh, you know, he sent me a thank you on my LinkedIn page to say, you know, thanks for tracking down my ship because I felt those weapons might be used to start a war. Here's the thing for me, and this is a self-preservation mechanism, I guess. I just, I don't want to be that cynical. I can't bring myself to believe, even though I talk about this sort of thing on the air all the time, that this would happen in my country. Well, part of that uh, comes back to Plato. It's his fault. And he developed the concept called Plato's Cave. If we live in a cave and the only existence we know are the shadows cast on a wall by the, the light from a fire, that's reality. When you ever, if for whatever reason, if you could get out of the cave and see the real world, that's conspiracy. You know, there is an interesting... Not interesting. It's it's tragic uh, beyond imagining to see this war memorial shooting. But it is interesting, as you point out, the photograph of the the aftermath of the shooting, and we have uh, a, a Corporal Cirillo on the ground being attended to by first responders, and presumably a live shooter still roaming about with a gun. And yet, as this photograph tells a very interesting story, we see bystanders some of them sipping their coffee, some of them with their back turned to Corporal Cirillo on the ground, some of them looking at their cell phones, looking very, very uninterested. What does this picture tell you, George? Well, I work with a lot of guys in the military. I was in the hold-up business for 11 years working for an armored car company. I'm very familiar with robberies and violence. And uh, the military, our Canadian military, had a very interesting uh, comment about raiding that. It was called the BOSOF, Beads of Sweat on Forehead. And uh, because when you're in a real situation, there's nothing you can do to stop it. In fact, there's a lot of other things you can't stop either, and that's controlling your bodily movements. And there's nothing there. So when we got into tight situations or if there was a shot fired or a threat, you know, we might say, oh, BOSOF five or six, depending on how bad the threat was and uh, what we had to do. But everybody's just standing there completely nonchalant, and they could care less. Not even looking. They're not even looking. You ever been at a traffic accident? Everybody slows down to look. So uh, what do these people think is going on then that, that, that are gathered around the cenotaph with their backs turned to the scene or sipping their coffee? What do they think is happening? Well, a young lady I know who's not into conspiracies at all but is a filmmaker in Toronto just put it off as you could say, the director says cut and you're waiting for take two. 
completely unsolicited. I was flabbergasted that she uh, came up with, like, wow, you're pretty and you got a brain and you think independently. Wow, I wish I was 20 years younger. Uh, and that's not the only photo. One of the other ones is supposed to have come out. It's from a parliamentary assistant by the name of Julia May. She posts pictures online from 9.30 a.m. outside of the camera view where the shooter was running, where the House of Commons was ringed in with police cars. She's, and she swore at them, you know, like she just calls them an S-load of, uh, of police cars. She's never seen anything like it. And her window overlooks uh, Parliament from across the street. And she posted the pictures, and she even puts up, you know, by the way, just remember, I have no suicidal thoughts or tendencies, so if something happens to me, you know, they took me out. And uh, these are starting to make the rounds a little bit, too, but they're not going to be on the uh, main national newspapers, that's for sure. This was a phalanx of police cars outside of Parliament Hill or circling the block... At 9.30. Uh, ...before the event, before the event. Exactly. There was a drill going on. The first reporter on the scene, his name, was, I think, is Henderson... That's in uh, my thing here, too. He, he, uh, he said there was a drill going on. Okay. And that the guys who attended the wounded soldier were part of the drill. Oh, my. Well, I, have, I still maintain that uh, Corporal Nathan Cirillo, uh, who will be laid to rest in uh, a day, is no more. And uh, there is a widow and a, an orphan, and I don't know what to make of that or how to piece this together, but I appreciate your time, George. George how Freund. George Freund, The Conspiracy Cafe, and uh, Stefan Verstappen, thank you for uh, hanging in. No problem. Tim Spreen, thank you. Albert the Intern, back next week. Joel Skousen, and we'll talk about UFOs and nukes. Bye for now. <laughs>